Morning, Brookside. Hey, uh, can we start this service just a little bit different than normal? Is that okay? Can, uh, can we stand up? <laughs> so in Oasis, um, I'm the high school youth pastor, and in Oasis we, uh, we start every single Wednesday night by finding somebody and um, giving them a hug. So can we, can we share the love and give each other hugs? Is that cool? <laughs> Tell them you love them. Tell them that Jesus loves them. Tell them their hair looks nice. Yes. Tell them they got cool shoes on. Their shoes are untied. Go ahead and tie it for them. It's a Christian thing to do. Embrace the love. It's awesome. You guys can sit down. Thanks. Hey, I just, um, before, we, before we jump in this morning, I just want to say a uh, super welcome to you, especially if you're new with us here today, if this is your first time. Um, we just, we really want this place to feel like a family and for like the love of Jesus to just be poured out on over you. So I pray that, that you feel like you can come to this place and be yourself. You don't have to put on a mask and try to be anybody that you're not. We want you to be who you are. Um, and then I also just want to say welcome to everybody else. If you've been going to this church for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years, however long, I just want to say um, a super welcome to you. Um, like I said, I am the high school youth pastor, and it is um, so fun for me to work with the youth and, and to be investing in, in the youth here at Brookside. Um, I just, I, I want to say thank you to those of you who are praying for us because your prayers are not in vain. God is doing something awesome in our youth ministry, and, and Jesus is becoming so real um, to our students. So I just want to encourage you with that. Um, but before we get in, can I, can I pray for us? God, I love you so much. Jesus, I'm, I'm so thankful just that we get to enter into your presence, that we get to even speak to you. God, in your wonderful grace and your mercy, you allow me to, to be with you, and that's it's amazing. It's, it is the greatest thing I could ever do is to be in your presence, and, and God, so right now I ask and I expect for your presence to just be in this room. Father, it is, it is a miracle for you, the God of heaven, to speak to us, to speak to our hearts. And so, God, I ask for miracles to happen this morning. God, that our hearts would be so open to what you have for us. Thank you for our time this morning and, and for bringing everyone here. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, the, uh, the last Sunday of the year um, is, is normally talking around um, New Year's resolutions. And, and normally when we talk about New Year's resolutions, we talk about things that like, are, are inward focused. And I think setting goals for the year of 2019 is fantastic. And in fact, I, I, I encourage you to do it. For some of you, you might be um, 
wanting to read the Bible through the whole year in 2019. You say, if, if I want my 2019 to be better than 2018, I need to go through the whole entire Bible in a year. And if for that's you, that, that's great. Some of you might be wanting to set a, a new budget, to redo your budget. Some of you might be wanting to wake up earlier or to eat healthy or to exercise or, or whatever it is. I think, I think New Year's resolutions are very good. In fact, I highly encourage them. But I think a lot of times our New Year's resolutions tend to be inward focused. They tend to be, okay, how can I make myself better? What can I do to make my 2019 better than what my 2018 was? And like I said, I don't think that's a bad thing. In fact, I think that's a wonderful thing. I encourage you to set goals. But I think, and, and I believe this, and I've experienced this, that, that if we want to get to the end of 2019 and be able to say, wow, God, look at everything that you have done in my life and look at everything that you have done in the people around me, we need to set a goal that is outward focused, that is focused on other people, that is focused on, on reaching the lost. And so today what we are going to be talking about is, is I'm going to challenge you through Scripture and what God says in the Bible to open your eyes. Open your eyes. And so if we could turn to uh, John 4, that would be awesome. Um, this is a very familiar passage uh, that, that we have gone over before. Um, if you don't know this passage, that, that is totally okay. But um, when I start describing the story that is going on, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, I know this story. Um, but what we're going to do is we, I'm going to summarize the first half of this story, and then verse 27 is where we're going to pick up. So, so in John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are going from Judea to Galilee. And now to get from Judea to Galilee, you have to go through a country called Samaria. Now, Jesus and the disciples, they are Jews, and they don't like Samaritans. And so normally what Jews would do if they were going to go to Galilee is they would go around Samaria to get to Galilee. But Jesus, because he does things differently and because he's God and he's sovereign, right, he decides that he's going to go right through Samaria, through enemy ter territory. He's going to go right into enemy territory. And so him and the disciples, they, they get into Samaria, and about after 40 miles of their journey, 40 miles they are walking, they get to a town called Sakar, Sakar, Samaria. And now you could probably imagine that Jesus and the disciples are probably pretty thirsty and probably pretty hungry. And so Jesus decides, okay, I'm going to go uh, get a drink from the well. So he decides to go to the well. And then his disciples decide to go into Sakaar uh, to run some errands, to grab some food. So they, so they split up. And so Jesus is going to the well, and he meets a woman. And we know her as the woman at the well. And they strike up a conversation. And Jesus starts talking about this living water that he could give her. And it sparks up her interest, and their conversation continues, and Jesus is asking her questions, and he's like, well, are you married? And she's like, well, no. And, and he's like, oh, that's right. You've had like five husbands, and now you're living with a sixth man. And now you're living with a sixth man. And then they're, 
conversation continues, and she's like, you must be some sort of prophet. You must be some sort of prophet. And then she continues to think, and she's like, this must be the Messiah. This must be the promised Messiah that we have been waiting for. And then Jesus reveals to her, he says to her, I am he. I am that Messiah. And then this is where we pick up in verse 27. So if you want to go to John chapter 4, verse 27, and we're going to read uh, through 35. It says this, it says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and then made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him. Listen to this. Rabbi, eat something. I want you to remember that. Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, they were clearly not understanding what Jesus was talking about. They said, could someone have brought him food? And then Jesus says in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And so I want, you to, I want you to mentally imagine what is going on. I want you to put, to put yourself into this story. So Jesus has just finished this conversation with this woman, the woman at the well. And because of their conversation, it ignites something in this woman to go back into Sakar and to tell every single person that she sees, I think I found the Messiah. And so she is bringing... I don't know, 50 to 100 people, just imagine, 50 to 100 people walking towards Jesus and the disciples. And then the disciples say, Rabbi, eat something. Rabbi, eat something. And then Jesus is like, I've already eaten. And then they clearly are not understanding what Jesus is talking about. Like, did somebody already bring him Burger King? Like, did he already eat? How is this? Jesus, you're supposed to wait for us, right? And he's like, no, my food is to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. To finish his work. And that work is, is to tend to this field that is walking towards them, that is ripe for harvest, that is ready to receive Jesus. But the disciples are concerned about what's for lunch. To help you better understand, I have a, I have a story that I want to share with you. Um, my best friend, Nolan, uh, and his wife, Tirza, before they, before they got married, uh, they went on a mission trip. Actually, even before they were dating, they, they went on a mission trip on a GO Teams trip um, with, with Brookside to the Middle East. And, and on this trip, um, they did a lot of mission work, but, but one of the days, uh, they were given like a half hour to just go shopping to get some souvenirs, to just kind of have some free time. And so they were given like 30 minutes, and then they were supposed to meet back at like this rendezvous spot. So 30 minutes, do your shopping, come back, and then we'll go on our business. 
And so Nolan and Tirza go completely different directions. Remember, they're not dating. Go completely different directions. And then the 30 minutes is up, and they come back to the rendezvous spot, at least Nolan does, and realizes that Tirza is not there. She, she, she didn't come back. And so they're in a completely different country, and so Nolan is freaking out. He loses his mind. Where is Tirza? Where is she? I mean, the, 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 the market was split into alleyways. And so it was very, very easy for somebody to get lost. And so Nolan, is, he's like trying to motivate his team that we need to go find Tirza. We need to go find her. I don't know where she is. She could be kidnapped. She could be lost. She could be wandering. Like who knows where she is? Now what if, this didn't actually happen, but what if someone came up to Nolan, one of his team members came up to Nolan and was like, hey, Nolan, I know you're looking for Tirza. I know you're busy. I know she's lost. But hey, you want to grab a bite to eat? You want to grab something to eat? I mean, what would his reaction have been? Like, no, I don't want to grab anything to eat. I want to look for Tirza. We need to find her. She is lost. She's lost. Now, eventually, they found her, and she was just shopping. And, yeah, right, and, and she just lost track of time. Um, but I think, I think this is what Jesus is, is experiencing here. There, there are hundreds of lost people that need him that desperately need a savior and that are walking towards him, ready to receive him. And the disciples are concerned about food. They're concerned about just eating. How many, uh, by show of hands, how many of you in here have glasses or wear contacts? That's a lot of you. <laughs> I don't, so ha, just kidding. <laughs> um, now, how many of, of those of you who have glasses and contacts are nearsighted, meaning you can't see things far away very well? Nice. I think that nearsightedness is not just a physical condition, but it's also a spiritual condition. Nearsighted Christianity is something that I have suffered from for like my entire life where I am just focused on, on my priorities. I am, I am focused just on the people that are around me, my family and my friends. And now those are good things. Those are great things. But I tend to give all of my energy to my family and to my friends, and I forget about every person out there that needs Jesus. There are 675,000 people in Omaha that don't know Jesus. And I'm consumed with, with my bubble. I'm consumed with being comfortable and not stepping outside of my bubble. And meeting people and building relationships with people that desperately need Jesus. Are you a nearsighted Christian? Are you someone that is only focused on the people that you surround yourself with? Because if you are, you are missing you are missing what God has for you. You are, you are missing on the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with people that don't know him. You know, Jesus, he always did things differently. 
always did things differently. His priorities were like completely different than, than what our priorities are. My priority is to eat. I like to eat. And when it comes to, comes to this, I probably would have been those, one of those disciples that's, hey, let's eat. But I think, I think Jesus was distracted by the lost. Meaning he, he couldn't think about anything else. And he did. He gave time to the disciples and he gave time to his friends and he loved them so well. But I think he, he was constantly thinking about, that person needs me. That person needs to be healed. That person needs to be prayed for. I want to build a relationship with that person. He was distracted. He was constantly thinking about people that needed him. My question for you is, is do you get distracted by the lost? Do you get distracted by people who need Jesus? Meaning like when you, when you go to the grocery store to pick up some eggs or to pick up some milk, are you looking for people that might not know him? When you go to the gym or you go to your work, are you looking for people that don't know him? I mean, Jesus said that the fields, they are ripe for harvest. They are ready to receive him. Do you get distracted by, by thinking about all of the people that you, that you walk by that need Jesus? You know, if we, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to open our eyes. And there are three, three ways to do that. The first, first way is that we need to open our eyes to where they are. We need to open our eyes to where they are, meaning we actually need to be looking for them. We need to be willing to see them. And then when God calls us to actually go say something to him, then we actually go and talk to them and build relationships with them. Proverbs 16.9 says this. It says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. You might be thinking that you are just going to the grocery store to grab some milk, but God might have different ideas for you if you would just open your eyes. God is divinely intersecting your life. If you love Jesus, God is divinely intersecting your life with someone that doesn't know him. We just need to be able to see them. We just need to look for them. Hannah and I um, recently moved into a new apartment. And um, before we moved into that apartment, we lived in another apartment for like two years. And I knew none of my neighbors. I didn't know any of them. I couldn't tell you a name of, of a single one. And I was extremely convicted by that. And so I told God that when we move into a new apartment, I'm going to know my neighbors. And so I'm praying to God. I'm asking him, God, would you like divinely intersect my life with my neighbor? And so we, we had lived there for about two months. And then Hannah and I were, were um, spending time with the Lord on a, one night, at like 8.30 at night. And I felt from the Holy Spirit as clear as ever and I knew it was the Holy Spirit because my palms got super sweaty and I got sweaty and I started to just, I don't know, my brain went crazy. And so like, 
he was telling me, this is what he said to me. He's like, Blaze, you need to go over across the hall. You need to knock on the door and introduce yourself to your neighbors and then invite them over for dinner on Friday. I was like, no way. That's not happened. And so, like, I stand up, and I, I am literally pacing back and forth. I'm going back and forth, back and forth. And Hannah is like, what are you doing? She has, like, no idea what I'm doing. And so then, and then I, she asks me, and I'm like, just let me, let me process what is going on. And so eventually I tell her, I'm like, God wants me to go over uh, to our next-door neighbors and invite them over, introduce ourselves, invite them over. And, um, and she's like, you're doing it. And I was like, no, like, you're, no, that's not the answer that you're supposed to have. And so now I'm arguing with God, I'm arguing with myself, and now I'm arguing with my wife. Lose, lose, lose situation. And so I continue to pace back and forth because I'm extremely nervous. Like, I, this is not, so, not something that I normally do. And so she, because she's tired of me pacing, she goes and opens the door and walks across the hallway and knocks on the door. And I'm like, what are you doing? And so then I, of course, have to now walk over and awkwardly introduce myself. So she opens the door, the wife does, and I'm like, hey, um, can't, my wife and I, this, well, I'm Blaze, this is Hannah, and, and uh, like God told me to come over here and to tell you that I'm supposed to introduce ourselves and invite you guys over for dinner on Friday. What do you think? And so uh, she was kind of like taken back a little bit. And then her husband came up, and, and we ended up having just like a really nice conversation. And then they uh, came over on Friday, and we made a meal with them. And now listen, it's not like we spent the whole time like praying with them or listening to worship music or talking about God the whole time. But what we did do is we built a relationship with strangers, with people that we didn't know. And then a few weeks later, we went out to sushi with them. And now, like, if they're out of town, we grab their mail that's sitting in front of their door. And they do the same for us. Like, a relationship is being built, and who knows? Who knows what God is going to do? But I want to be faithful, and I want to see people. And when he calls me to see someone, I want to I be obedient. And I want to go and talk to them. And who knows what God is going to do? You have no idea. They could completely reject you. But doing the will of the Father is more satisfying to me than a rejection. I, 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 want, I want God to be pleased with me. And that outweighs any rejection that I could ever receive from anyone. And so we need to open our eyes to where they are. We need to see them. Second thing is we need to open our eyes to who they are. To who they are. And if you think about the story of the woman at the well, this woman, she was a Samaritan woman. And those are two reasons that Jesus should have never talked to her. Like I said, Jews and Samaritans, they did not get along. They hated each other. And he broke that barrier. He broke, he broke the social barrier, the race barrier. But then he also should not have been talking to her because she was a woman. Back in Jesus' day, it wasn't normal for a guy to just go and start talking with a woman. That wasn't a thing. 
but Jesus broke the gender barrier. And that he also did not judge her for the way that she was living. I mean, she had five husbands and now was living with a sixth man that was not her husband. And that did, none of those reasons stopped him from loving her. None of those reasons stopped him from looking at her like she was a child of God, that she was created by God. And he loved her. He didn't judge her. He didn't look at her and, and condemn her for the things that she was doing, but, but he loved her through them. He loved her through them. You know, and I think if we, if we want to reach, if we, if we want to show people that don't know Jesus the utmost love like Jesus would show them, we have to walk into this place. I encourage you to walk into this place with masks off. This is something that we have been, we have been teaching and, and I have been talking to Oasis about, our high school youth ministry about, is that when you come into this building, masks are off. You can be who you are with all of your pain and all of your past. It doesn't matter. We are going to love you. So I encourage you to, when you walk into this place, take your masks off. If you are hurting, we want to we, we be, be people that pray for you. If you are struggling with something, we want to be someone that encourages you. We have to be real with one another inside of this building. Because if we are real in here with one another, if we are praying for one another, if we are encouraging one another, then we can be real with people out there. We can be real with people that know, don't know Jesus. And when we are real with people that don't know Jesus, they're going to be real with us. And they're not going to feel like we are judging them based on, on the way that they are living. We are just going to share the love of Jesus with them. You know, when I was being challenged by the Holy Spirit to go and talk to our neighbors, I like completely forgot that they were just human beings. That they were people that probably have similar problems that I'm facing. And they have a soul that is deeply loved by God. And God deeply wants to be in a relationship with them. And if he's going to use me to facilitate that relationship, then I am, I am ready. I want it. I want it. So we need to open our eyes to who they are. And then the last one is, is we need to open our eyes to what they need. Open our eyes to what they need. John 1.14 says this. It says, the word became flesh, meaning Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. Now listen to this. Who came from the father full of grace and truth. What people need is grace and truth. And truth is, is extremely important. We never, ever, ever want to deny the truth that is in this book. Never. We never want to give up the truth that is in this book. 
And we might see someone who is, who is living wrongly according to what the Bible says. But if we go to someone and we just condemn them for the way that they are living, we are going to turn them off from the gospel. When we are talking to someone, truth without grace is mean. Truth without grace is mean. Even though it might be right, but if we are not presenting it with grace, it is mean. But now listen to me. Grace without truth is meaningless. It's meaningless. We can't go around letting, letting people and being okay with, with people just living the way that they're living. Even if it is destructive to them and it is destructive to other people. We, we can't just say, hey, it's okay. Jesus is going to forgive you. It doesn't matter. Like, no big deal. We have to give them both grace and truth. And Jesus is a perfect model of this. In John chapter 8, there's a story, a true story, about a woman who is, who is caught in adultery. And truth said, the law said, this is, this is what was supposed to happen, is that she was supposed to be stoned. Because she committed adultery. She was supposed to be killed. And so there, because that's what the law said, men gathered stones and they were about to stone her. But then Jesus comes onto the scene and he says to those men, if you have not sinned, go ahead and cast the first stone. Basically telling them, like, if, if you haven't done anything wrong, go ahead. You can go ahead and throw the stone. You, you can go ahead and throw it at her if you have lived a perfect life. And then he starts to write in the dirt, and, and then each man leaves one by one. So even though truth said that she should be stoned, grace said that she should be loved. But then Jesus didn't stop there. He said to the woman, go and sin no more. You cannot continue to live the way that you are living. You cannot cannot continue to do that. Jesus gives her grace and then he gives her truth. So if we want to open our eyes, we need to open our eyes to where they are. We need to open our eyes to who they are. And we need to open our eyes to what they need. Not only do I want to be like Jesus, I don't want to be nearsighted. I want to get distracted by the lost. I I want to be thinking about whether the person I am passing in the mall is a believer or not. I want that. But I also want to be like the woman. And we, we read that she goes back into the town. Now think, think about that. Think about the woman that she is. She is a social outcast. She is someone that, that does not have the respect of, of the people in the town, but yet she lets go of what people think about her. She lets go of her past because she met Jesus. She met the Messiah. And so she goes back into the town and she is, she's telling everybody, hey, you got to come meet this guy. He's changed my life. You got to come meet him. 
I want to be like this woman. But, but look at what happens because of what she does. John chapter 4, verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Remember, he's in enemy territory, and they invite him to stay for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The response of Jesus showing this woman love motivates her to go back into a town where, where she is an outcast. It motivates her to go tell everyone, hey, there's this Messiah. You gotta meet him. He changed me. He changed my life. You gotta meet him. And so the people come. And because Jesus is not nearsighted and because he cares about the, the lost and he, he wants to do the will of the Father and to do his work, many people believe. Because of that woman, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, those people's lives were changed for eternity. For eternity. I want to be like this woman. I am like this woman. Jesus has radically changed my life. I went from being a person that was addicted to pornography that was getting drunk on the weekends and was doing drugs. I went from that person and I met Jesus and I surrendered my life to Jesus. And now all I want to do is to be in his presence. That's all I want to do. And if that means that I have to step outside of my comfort zone and to go tell people about what he has done in my life, then I'm going to do it. My life has been radically changed by Jesus, and I want every single person to experience the same love that I have experienced from him. I, I, we, church, we cannot contain. We are not supposed to contain the light that is inside of us. It is supposed to shine. We are supposed to love. People need him. This world needs him. His love is the greatest thing I have ever experienced. Ever experienced. In 2019, if we want to be a people that get to the end and say, wow, look at everything that God has done this year what he's done in my life and what he's done in, in other people's lives. And we need to open our eyes because people are ready. They are ready to receive him. Let's pray.
doing, doing your work, doing your will and loving other people satisfies my soul more than food. More than anything. So Father, would, would you motivate us? God, would you empower us to be a people that, that, that go into our city and to love to love people, like Jesus loved the woman at the well. Would you, would you empower us to have that kind of love? Would we not be nearsighted? Would we see people that desperately need you? God, would you show us those people and would we be obedient? God, I love you. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.